Well, welcome this morning. My name is Tony, and I'm pastor here at LEFC. If you are new, we say welcome uh, to being here among us. And uh, we are actually uh, in just at the beginning of a series out of the book of Luke that will continue through Easter. And, uh, and, and the reason we are looking at Luke and, and the way we're doing this is that Luke takes a unique perspective at the life of Jesus Christ and that I believe can be very applicable to us uh, in just looking at how Jesus handled life, how he responded to life, how he lived out life. And so literally what we're doing in this series is not looking at it exegetically or looking verse by verse, but we're actually doing excerpts of Luke where there are snapshots of how Jesus lived. Keep in mind that Jesus is, is God. He is the incarnate uh, living word. And therefore, if we want to know well, how would God live if he was here on this earth, you look at Jesus. That's how God would live if he was here on this earth in human skin. And that's what we get in the template of living when you look at the life of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to actually ask you then to turn in your Bibles, if you have one, uh, to the book of Luke. We'll be in the first chapter. If you do not have a Bible, our ushers are walking down right now, and they'd be glad to provide you a Bible. And the page we're on in that Bible is page 956. So today, if you've noticed in the bulletin, the title of this message is The Significance of Silence. The first song sung this morning was Listen. So this is your opportunity to be quiet and for me to speak, right? And then it could get really awkward very fast if while up here I just stopped and was silent for even just one minute. If it was completely silent in this room for one minute and I'm looking at you and you're looking at me, at first it might be okay. And then about the 30-second point, we're starting to squirm. Then about 40-second point, children are point, elbowing their parents. What's he doing? And I'd be, and, and I'd be seeing that. And, and then you're just doing this. And then by the minute point and I finally speak again, you're like, we made it. There's something about silence that makes us feel fearful, isn't there? It, it, in fact, it can create a moment of awkwardness. I, I'll never forget when I was in Zimbabwe back in 2004, we went to this orphanage, and, and the children there, they can speak English. And, um, and I went to be with this one child uh, that was there, a, just an adorable child. And as I'm sitting next to that child, I'm talking, they're not saying anything in return. And, and we didn't have anything to do with our hands. There was no table. There was no pen. There was no coloring book. And so, you know, I, I start talking and asking questions and no response, just silence. So then I decide, well, I, I, I'm tired of filling the air, so let me just be silent with this child. So we sat there for a very long time in silence. And then all of a sudden... I'm doing something with my hands, and the child then begins to speak in clear English to me and asks me, what is that? <laughs> and then it created this dialogue. And, uh, and what I discovered later as I got to know that child over the next two weeks was that child was wanting to know if I was safe and just wanted to be near me for a season. And in that case, it was about 20 minutes of nothing and just watching and seeing what I would do if left to myself. Silence can be 
both ways. Awkward, but it can also be liberating. Silence can also feel like an indictment. Let's say you offended somebody, and you know you offended them. You sent them an email to apologize. You sent them a text. You even tried to call them, and they didn't pick up, and they and you had to leave a message, and, then, and so you didn't get a text back, you didn't get an email back, you didn't get a response to the call, they didn't pick up. The silence is deafening, isn't it? When you know you've hurt someone. You realize that, that they're, they're probably very angry, and, you're, and then it begins to, the silent treatment response begins to get at you, and you wonder, are they ever going to speak to you again? Are they ever going to receive you again? Or how about the silence when, and this is the stage of life I'm in right now with my son being 17 years old and driving. It's like when you know he's going somewhere and he's going to get on 222 or Route 30, and you're just like, okay, when you get there, text us. Been there? And it's supposed to be a 15, 20-minute trip. 35, 40 minutes later, no text. You send the text. Did you arrive okay? Nothing. Fifteen minutes later, finally, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. <laughs> that kind of silence can get at you, right? Because what does that silence do? In the vacuum of silence, you're starting to think the worst of your fears, right? And, and rightfully so. I mean, there's an agreement. But then there's that other part of you that's like, he's being a knucklehead. He's 17 years old and doesn't follow instructions, right? Then there's the other part of silence that, that sometimes you just need the silence. Some of you have embraced that over the last uh, couple of weeks because it's hunting season. You go out in the woods, and for the first time in 12 months, you're actually quiet because you have to be. And then while you're out there, you begin to think over the past 12 months of what's gone on. And your mind begins to fill with things that you haven't given yourself margin to think about. Some of you might actually take time to pray during that time. And God's like, oh, you're finally speaking to me. But during that time, you can also, I've, I've talked to many hunters where they find that that's actually a time because it's at the end of a year. That they, they can actually begin to consider how they spent their time, and, and it's kind of that transparency before God. Some of you, that silence is never broken, and you never fire your gun. Others of you, it's finally broken when that trophy buck finally walks by. But nonetheless, silence can also be a very valuable tool in our lives. For whatever reason, though, we often treat it with fear. In the book of Luke, there is a moment of silence here that, that happens. And it's not, it's not just a moment, but then it ends up being an extended period of time. But it's also a, a clash of a breaking of silence. So you have a breaking of silence. You have a silence that is now initiated. And then you have the momentary silence, all within a single text. And so we're going to go there, and then we'll expound on it a little bit more fully why this is important for us to spend time to talk about on a Sunday morning. So we're going to begin in chapter 1, verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife of Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. 
but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old, probably about 62, 63. <laughs> Sorry to those of you that might be around that. Just kidding. <laughs> I'm getting there <laughs> personally. Uh, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled, and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born." He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, well, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. So, let's stop there. We're going to get into other parts of chapter 1 here in a moment. <clears throat> but what you have here is a priest and a, and, a, and a wife that were considered very righteous, very commendable before God. They were blameless in all of their actions. They had fulfilled the rightness of the law. They were living their lives not only by what they spoke of the law, but they were living it out. So they were commended for being righteous. And as part of his duty as a priest, now what they would, they were, there was a big division of several priests, and they, they were organized uh, throughout different, uh, it's like a military setup where there's definite uh, groupings of men, and they would take turns doing different functions within the temple. And so when his division came forward as being responsible for burning the incense within the temple, uh, they, they were all wanting the opportunity to do that, so they would cast lots. It was a rolling of the dice, if you will, to figure out who gets the privilege of going in and burning the incense. It falls to Zechariah. He gets to go in and perform this very honorable and very esteemed and desired responsibility in the temple. While there, you get an experience that he was not expecting. You see, what, what, uh, isn't, what is given in the text but wasn't evident necessarily in that moment is that over time, 
Zechariah and his wife had prayed for a child. All right, so they'd been praying for a child, but this question becomes, did they believe that God could still do that at this stage since they are old? Or would he even do that? So we don't know if that prayer was still being prayed or if it had been done for years. But nonetheless, they certainly were still grieving, perhaps, that they had no child. So you have this childless priest in the temple doing a very honorable duty, a desired duty that the priest get to be a part of, and a moment happens that he's not expecting. And that is an angel shows up and gives him a private message. There's nobody else there. It's just him and this angel. And the angel acknowledges a prayer that only Zechariah knew that he'd been praying. Now, it's probably evident to all those who knew Zechariah and Elizabeth that they desired very much to have a child. But this angel brings up that this prayer that they've been praying is about to be realized. And you can get a sense of whether or not Zechariah was still praying that prayer or not by his response. He didn't believe that that could be a possibility any longer. In fact, in verse 18, he, it says that he wanted to be sure of this. In the New American Standard, it said the word certain. Do you want, he wanted to be certain of this possible message, right? And what we learned last week about certainty. Certainty is a key part of faith. And faith is essential to salvation. And so in this situation, Zechariah did not have faith. So we need to hear this. He was righteous. He was commendable. But in regards to the prayer for having a child, he did not have faith. He needed to be certain. And so he wanted some kind of, of, of revelation that would create certainty. You know, and, and what was his excuse? He said, well, we're old. And, and that could be, you know, a, a justifiable excuse. But in this situation, he's a priest who knows the history of Scripture. And that was a repeated statement. Where else had there been an angelic revelation that you're going to have a child in your old age? Abraham and Sarah, right? The very father and mother of the nation of Israel had been told you're going to have a child by angelic messengers and they too were old. In fact, they ended up naming that child that came, Isaac, as someone that, that made them laugh. His coming made them laugh because here it is. We're old people and we just had a child. That's something to laugh about. And so here it is. They've studied all the history of Israel. They know about Abraham. They know about Sarah. They know the story. And yet in this moment, he couldn't even connect his own life to the stories that he had been taught and learned and had instructed others over for years. He too could not get past that. And so he used the same thing. I, we're old. How can that be possible? In this case, they were instructed to give a name. Now, the name John is, 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 is an important one, but, but it, in this, it was about the fact that Yahweh is a part of the message that is going to come out of John, and that's part of the meaning of his name. And so, in this, you have the opportunity for 
again, Zechariah to be excited about this news, but instead he was cynical, he was doubtful, and he lacked faith. So what was the consequence of this? The consequence was Gabriel tells him, you're now going to be silent until this comes to fruition. Now, I need to speak into this for a moment. Because when you look at what happened, he comes out of the temple. He had been in there way too long for what was typical for lighting the incense. That people were beginning to clamor outside. Something's happened to Zechariah. He's, he's staying way too long in there. He comes out. He's not able to speak and he's making signs and they're trying to figure out what he is saying. This is where I will say I can relate. For those of you who have been around our church over the last few months, you'll know that I had surgery on my vocal cords back in September. Part of that surgery required me to be silent for seven days. All right? Big difference between nine months and seven days. But I will tell you, seven days of being silent was torture for me. I mean, my job is to speak, right? And part of it is that, that I also enjoy talking a lot. <laughs> Which amen means you agree that I must talk a lot. So... And, and so when you all of a sudden are used to being able to use whatever thousands of words in every given day, and all of a sudden that's taken from you, it is a game changer about how your days become. You, they become very different from what days usually are. And so in my seven days, I had so many different experiences that I did not realize that I'd taken for granted. And so yet... In his situation, he's got nine months. So day one for me, being silent, right? I come out of the surgery, and before I go into surgery, I'm told, you may not have the same voice when you begin to speak again in seven days because of where this polyp is, your voice may be very different. So to which my wife's response was, your voice will sound like the dog in the movie Up that had the voice problem. <laughs> Sounding like Pee Wee Herman, if you, don't, if you know that, that sound of voice. So that's one of the things I heard just before going into surgery. Another one that, that, you know, said is that you also may not have the same power to your voice. It may be much weaker, which again, not a little disconcerting in light of what I do, right? Then I come in day one again to the office. You would think that with a, a, an office filled with godly people and pastoral types, <laughs> you know what's coming, right? I come into my office, and what greets me is that on my chair is a little whiteboard that has a strap that I can put around my neck, <laughs> a little dry erase marker, and a little eraser, and already written on that board for me to start with was a verse found in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 28, that says, even a fool is thought wise when he remains silent. <laughs> Yes, you have a great group of pastors that lead this church. Very caring and sensitive, empathetic, pathetic. So I can only imagine, as of what I experienced, 
being here for seven days, what it must have been like for Zechariah among all the other priests. I mean, he's coming in, he's coming out, and he can't speak a thing, and he's making all kinds of signs. Now, I will tell you, there are certain people I discovered in this church that can read lips very well. And when I found out who they were, I stayed near them because they were a relief to me. My wife cannot read lips at all. For seven days, we struggled to communicate. I wrote a lot. I had a lunch with one of our pastoral team members, and, and I ended up having to send 53 text messages to carry a conversation for an hour. And, and so you figure out how to communicate. But for nine months, this was the life of Zechariah. And in his case, it's the result of lack of faith. Mine was not... I don't believe the result of some kind of a lack of faith, but, but in his case, he was forced into silence for nine months because he lacked faith. He, he was a righteous man. He was a follower of God. He was a commendable person. God commended him. So this is somebody that has favor in the eyes of God, but in the case of this, he had faith that was lacking. So in this, you have nine months that is the result of of, of a lack of faith that he now remains silent. But you also need to understand going into context to be fair to Zechariah, God had been silent for 400 years at this point. You see, in the Gospels, you have all this writing that, that helps us understand the life of Jesus Christ. But prior to this moment, this is the earliest moment chronologically in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the earliest moment in the chronology of that. And prior to that, the previous written, spoken language of God was Malachi, 400 years before that. And so the prophetic word of the Lord had not been speaking for 400 years. And so of 400 years of God being silent, it's understandable that Zechariah would be startled by such a revelation and be startled that God is actually speaking to him through a messenger. But when God has been silent, and maybe we go through seasons, and I will say, there are, I, I, I walk with the Lord every day in the sense that I am reading his word, I'm praying, and I feel the Holy Spirit guiding me each and every day. But there are certain seasons where you feel like, man, I feel like God hasn't spoken to me for several days. In that time, there's something that can happen within us. It can either expose within us when there's, when there's a season where perhaps we're not feeling near the Lord or God's not speaking to us, that, that a couple things can come to play. Either our faith becomes more diligent or we develop a cynical spirit. So God's silence can expose cynicism or it can expose faith. So in the case of Zechariah, you know, there were certain areas, I'm sure, that if God had done in this moment to break the silence of 400 years, that, that Zechariah would have been like immediately filled with faith. But God poked at something very personal to him, that eventually, after years of praying for a child and God not responding to that request, that he became a cynic in regards to that prayer. He didn't believe that God would any longer fulfill such a request. 
and to the point that even God could any longer fulfill such a request. Do you hear what I'm saying in that? I believe he came to a place where he no longer thought God would or that God even could do it because they were old. You see, in God's silence with us, it can provide within us a season where we learn to become more expectant. It forces us to then study. And in the case of Zechariah, they, they were using these 400 years. There was so much study to understand the messianic prophecies because they wanted to know when the Messiah would come. And so they applied themselves diligently to all that was written from Genesis to Malachi and, and also that they could be ready for when the Messiah came. Then this study of the past and the prophetic future that was coming, they learned the heart of God, and they also then could learn, because when you read Genesis through Malachi, you not only learn the character of God in the study of that, but you also learn the depravity of man. You see, they could study their own history as a nation, that they were depraved, and they were sinful, and they were regularly falling short. But God was always standing tall. Those are things that you begin to learn when God is silent, when you begin to lean in. Remember when we were uh, in the series on prayer, we used the passage in Psalm 77, where David is in a season after his great sin with Bathsheba. He's wondering if God would ever speak to him again. And that's part of the journey. He felt distant from God. And so what did he do? He began to remember and study the things of old when God would speak. And not only to the nation of Israel, but to him. And it renewed his faith in the midst of that silence. And he ends and concludes with the beautiful analogy is that, that when the nation of Israel came through the, the Red Sea that had been parted by God, that there were footprints that were there, but they weren't the footprints of the nation. They were the footprints of God carrying the nation, even though the nation didn't acknowledge him. You see, in silence, it forces us either to run away from God when God's not speaking to us, or it causes us to draw near to God so that when God speaks again, we're ready. Our greatest enemy in the midst of silence, when we're in seasons when maybe perhaps God isn't speaking to your heart or, or you're reading the word of God and you feel like sometimes it's just like it's not jumping uh, into your, your life like it used to or, or, or it's not as warm or, uh, or exciting as it used to be for you. It, the greatest enemy to you in that season of time is apathy. Apathy. Been there? Spiritually? in there? We become apathetic that, you know, that, well, I just don't feel it anymore, and so we begin to just go on our own. We do the opposite of what God intends. He wants us to draw near to him. Like David, he had the choice to become apathetic in the midst of God's silence, or he had the opportunity to draw near to him and pursuing the things of old to rebuild his faith. So what happens when we become apathetic? We pray and we live without expecting a response. That's the first sign of apathy, is that when we pray, 
We're not expecting a response. When we live out things of God, again, keep in mind, Zechariah was living out a righteous life. He was living a God-fearing life, but he was living without expectancy. So apathy had entered in. We also, in, if apathy is there, we can pray and live a storyline in mind that it really isn't supernatural or divine, but rather more human-like. In other words, in the midst of our apathy, we start expecting God because we've, we've stopped learning who God is and we start then creating our own view of God and making him more human-like rather than divine. And so we expect his behaviors to be more like what we would expect a human being to live out. It's another sign that apathy has entered in. And I think the end, to, the end, end game is that, that we basically become religious in identity only, but not in heart and mind. We, became, we become religious in identity only. Because of our apathy, it's like we're Christian. But really, outside of just being Christian, there's nothing being lived out on a daily basis. We become numbed out spiritually. That's when apathy has truly won the soul. And then lastly, I would say when apathy has come in and we're living out with faithlessness because God is silent, he becomes a stranger to us. He becomes a stranger. When I talk with people who claim to be Christian in identity, but haven't been to church in years, or, when they, or they do certain prayers at night when I ask, well, do you pray? And they're like, yeah, we do this, I pray this, or whatever. There is a detachment from the idea that God is a living God and that he actually cares. And then when I begin to talk about things of God, you can tell they don't even know who God is. They're a complete stranger to the idea of the character and heart of God and what he desires to do in their life. You see, in Zechariah, while he was a righteous man, he'd become religious. He wasn't expectant. He wasn't ready for God to actually speak into him. And as a result, God gave him a gift, a gift of nine months to think about it. I'm thankful God gave me seven days because I can't imagine nine months. You see, I was away for three months on sabbatical. For those of you that are new here, I had a sabbatical from mid-May through mid-August. And by the time I came back from my sabbatical, I sounded like I had been smoking for 40 years. That's how my voice sounded. And so before I ever had the opportunity to stand before this group of people, again, after being away for three months, I'm going to a specialist to then have this looked at. And they were telling me I'm going to have to have surgery right away and that I wouldn't be allowed to speak, which then delayed me coming back and speaking before this congregation by three weeks. So what did that mean after three months of spending time in, in rest and, and Sabbath and, and engaging God and asking a lot of questions about his calling upon my life and, and the things that, that I need to reorganize in my life, that I come back and I'm welling up with desire to share what God's put upon my heart before this people. And he says, okay, you're back, but you're not allowed to speak. You see, I had to wrestle with my own internal uh, issues on this because I was ready to come and share my heart with you. But God said, not yet. 
And in those seven days, I was forced into thinking through a lot of what God may be wanting to speak to me. Look at what happened when, with John when he's been coming off at the end of his silence, what ends up happening as he's able to then speak to those that are with him. So verse 57 of chapter 1. It's when the silence is broken. So nine months later, when it was time to, for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. I mean, after all, they're like, do you hear about our friend Elizabeth, who's really old, is having a baby? And so on the eighth day, verse 59, on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. They were going to name him after their father, Zechariah. Zechariah still not speaking. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. So we know that at some point in those nine months, Zechariah and Elizabeth, he sat down and wrote down everything that happened in the temple. So she knew that there was to be a, a name given to this child, and it's to be John. So on the eighth day, they came in, and, and, and this name is given to him, and it's John. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father. <laughs> I can only imagine, because I saw some of the signs people were trying to give me, and I'm like, I don't have a clue what you're trying to say. You can speak, so why are you trying to make signs, right? <laughs> it was so funny. People would try to talk to me, and they'd get loud. It's like, I can still hear I'm sure he had a lot of those moments. I'm absolutely sure of it. So they started making signs to the father, which is so ridiculous because they can speak and he can hear. So find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was open and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe throughout the hill country of Judea. People were talking about all these things. And everyone who had heard about wondering and asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Nine months of silence. Nine months. Do you think Zechariah was ready to communicate and speak? Let me tell you, seven days, I was anxious to speak. I was tired of writing everything. I was tired of doing sign language that was not sign language. It was gibberish with my hands. I was tired uh, of not being heard because people were too impatient in the conversations when there were multiple people. They just kept going and kind of forgot I was there. You see, a voice is part of your presence. Your voice is part of your presence. It's just the reality of it. It's part of your presence. I was in a meeting with all of our architects, our builders, and all of our key leaders of our church, seeing the 3D video of our building for the first time. All right? I'm in the room. There's about 30-something people there. I'm, not, I'm in my silent mode. I'm, I just had my surgery the day before. So I'm, I'm not allowed to speak here it is, I'm the senior leader in the room and the meeting kept going on and there were things I wanted to say that I could not say or I would try to get the attention of the people up front and they wouldn't acknowledge. 
It was one of the most frustrating things to be in the room where you know your, your role is important and not be heard. And so when you experience that over seven days, or in this case, over nine months, you start realizing certain things are important. First of all, in his case, he realized that he had gone into silence because he didn't have faith. And that believing and being obedient to that belief was key to his own personal redemption. He was committed to belief from there forward. And of course, the reality of, of, of this message was coming true as his wife became pregnant. And, and he watched that for nine months, realizing that he could not enjoy these nine months like he could have if he had just believed from the beginning. So now he knows that he's going to be set free. He was told by the messenger, until this comes to fruition, you will not be allowed to speak. So he knows there's a day coming that he's going to be able to speak. So nine months, he's considering, when I'm allowed to speak again, what am I actually going to say? What am I actually going to say? You see, when you are forced into silence, and you're not allowed to speak, but you know there's going to come a point where you will be allowed to speak, you realize how valuable your words are. You realize how valuable and precious it is to communicate. And in Zechariah's case, he realizes how precious faith is. So when the moment comes, his silence is broken by affirming what the very message of the angel was. This child's name will be John. His first words. Now for me, I was told seven days. I kept wondering, what am I going to allow my first words to be? I know that my surgery was in the morning and I got out of, you know, I began it at, at like nine in the morning and then I know that, that I was out of the waiting room or the post-surgery room about 11.30. So is it seven days from nine o'clock in the morning or is it seven days from 11.30? <laughs> I mean, I was having this argument with myself because I can't talk with anybody, but I'm trying to figure out when do I break it? And, and so... I, and for me, I have a lot of motive to make sure that this surgery is effective, right? And so I do not want to cut corners. I, there's too much at stake. And so the day comes, a following Wednesday, and we're in staff meeting, and, and staff meetings from 9.30 to 11.30. <laughs> Things are going on in that meeting that I want to speak into, but I remain silent, more things kept coming up that I wanted to speak into, but I remained silent. But then we went to prayer, and I couldn't stay silent any longer. Because it was the opportunity to praise God. It was unintentional. I had no idea. And the two people I was praying with were shocked, I'm sure, because I had stayed silent for the business part of the meeting, and now we're praying, and I all of a sudden talk. It was strange because I hadn't used this instrument in seven days. And it was weaker. It wasn't the same. It was my voice, which I was thrilled about. But it was softer. It was, it was gentler than I'm used to. And, and, and so as we're praying, I'm finding joy as I'm praying to God with my voice. 
Look what happens to Zechariah. He, he is able to speak, and he says his name is John, but then it says that his voice became filled with praise when he was finally allowed to communicate. And we have it for record here. Luke researched it and received it. And here's where it is, verse 67. So Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he has done uh, through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of, his, of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. He's given the opportunity to speak for the first time in nine months. And what does he communicate? Praise. Praise. Not anger, not finally I get to have my, my word in this, but praise. Praise for who God is. Praise for his promises. And praise that God forgives, saves, and guides. So if God has been silent with you, are you becoming a cynic? Or are you leaning in more deeply to know his heart? Are you beginning to become faithless? Or actually, are you beginning to become much more intentional of knowing his heart? And as a result, you're in a better place to hear what he actually has to say. You see, I believe that God says that silence can be one of the best teachers for knowing who he is and knowing who you are in need of him. Let's pray. God, I know that each of us here, if we're going to be completely honest, would love, love, love to have a message that is directly given to us. Having an angel come straight from your room, your heavenly throne room, to speak to us would be such an honor and privilege. But God, if we were to be completely honest, how many of us would truly be expectant and receive that? How many of us, when we go before the word you actually do give us that is intended for us, when we read it, that we read to receive, knowing that you're trying, that you are indeed speaking to our hearts of the things written in this word? God, we avoid silence we avoid space where the one place that we might actually begin to hear you is in such a space. We avoid it because we're afraid. 
We avoid it because perhaps we might feel our judgment. We might feel shame. God, help us to be comfortable (laughs) in your presence after having read your word, after having prayed, to just be silent before you. To ponder the things we've received, the things we've read, to consider perhaps the things we're doing and living. Maybe, God, you have something we do need to hear in that silence. But God, help us to not run from the message you would want us to hear. May our faith be strengthened as we approach you. God, it really is about expectancy. Expecting that you are a living and active God, not a God that's elusive, disactive, uninterested in us. And that you indeed are wanting us to hear from you in your heart. And that like Zechariah, who was anticipating the coming Messiah, but yet beginning to question whether it would be in his time, we too await the return of Jesus Christ. Are we growing weary and cynical that it would happen in our lifetime? Will we be ready if Jesus was to come again? God, teach our hearts. Teach our hearts where we are lacking in faith. We receive you and we beckon you to come and speak to us. In the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen. So we sing a song called Silent Night. Yet next to the song that's called Joy to the World as what was declared by the angels on that night. Consider where God revealed the coming child. It wasn't in the city where there was hustle and bustle and and people weren't ready to listen, but rather out in the fields where the shepherds were left to silence because they were able to hear. That's where the silent night was broken is because they were able to hear the voice of God. So in our times of prayer, would we be willing to consider silence? Of letting what we've just read, what we've just prayed, resonate in our hearts, and that perhaps even give space to God to speak to your heart. This is a season where we celebrate the coming of the child, where all of a sudden, after 400 years of silence, it was broken and a declaration that he, had, he was coming and in their lifetime. And we are the beneficiaries of being post his life here on this earth to where we get to walk every day with the realities of the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we have the living word speaking to us every day. We have the Holy Spirit who is speaking to us every day. Are you listening? Are you receiving? Are you, do you have faith or are you a cynic? So God, I just ask that as we go out of here, that as you speak, that you'll find listening ears. That as you speak or you reveal or you do things around us, that we'll have eyes that can see because we're not so busy and so mindful of our own issues. So God, speak to us anew. May we receive during this special season unique perspective of your heart your love, and your character, and then celebrate more passionately the coming Christ child. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and being obedient to the Heavenly Father.
that we may be the beneficiaries of becoming children of God. Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Amen. You're dismissed and enjoy this continued season of anticipation and expectancy.